So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that most successful agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's competitive real estate environment? That's the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now for the review of the day. Okay, Angie Shoup gave us a five-star review. She said, great podcast. Pat is a fantastic interviewer and knows the best questions to ask his agents. I've learned so much from listening. Thank you, Angie. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. Rockstar Nation, thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to stay to the end where our guests will be offering a free gift. As you know, all of our guests offer a free gift and all of these gifts can be found on the Agent Success Toolbox. You could find that by going to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply texting the word toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. I am going to put today's free gift in today's show notes, but if you want all of them, including gifts from most of our guests that have come on the show, just go to the Agent Success Toolbox. All right, Rockstar Nation, I got a returning guest today, and this guy is crushing it big time, and it's been over 500 episodes since he's been on last, if you missed him. First time around, episode 344, just just absolutely great guy and great person to learn from. And I asked him to come on specifically to talk about something today because a lot of you guys have been asking, like, you know, what is really different in some of the other countries, especially Canada, when we're selling, you know, real estate and, and you know, how does Canada compare to the U.S.? And, and so we're going to get into some nitty gritty with that, among many other things. So without further ado... Courtney Atkinson from Atkinson Realty is back. Courtney, welcome back to Real Estate Rockstars. Pat, I want to tell you, I've listened to every single one of those episodes since my last one, man. Well done. I love this show. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. All right. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit, a little bit about yourself, Courtney, so they get to know you better. All right, man. I'm married to this really awesome gal. Her name's Melanie. And we got these two kids that keep us busy and one of the greatest blessings, Pat, because it's got me to be super efficient. I think if I can attribute anything to those little guys, it's the fact that, uh, man, I've really cut down on my time at work and I'm getting more done. I have a real estate team. I guess a lot of people call them teamerages. There's a couple independent agents, but we're partnered on a few different things. So my, my team operates together in the residential space. There's uh, 15 agents in my Lethbridge office, Lethbridge, Alberta five agents in our medicine hat office and then we've got about three independent agents in Lethbridge and I partner with them on commercial and property management and a little bit of ag as well. Ag's big here because we live on the prairies in southern Alberta. We're just north of the Montana border and lots of bald ass prairie man and lots of farms to be sold and so we got to have a specialist in that area too. So we just love what we do man. We have some fun. 
And we're talking Alberta, Canada. Yes, sir. Alberta, Canada. We're we're kind of like the place in Canada that you know rides horses and wears jeans and doesn't dare show up to a meeting in a suit. Wow. And and so like how far out you mentioned like five different areas. Like how far out are these areas? Like what would you say how far out do you go to do business? Yeah, so not super far, Pat. I mean, we would drive maybe, you know, an hour to an hour and a half for business. I mean, I, I took a listing at this place called Lake Newell. It's like a resort community about two hours away from Lethbridge. And if you consider my Lethbridge and Medicine Hat office, it's kind of like a two hour drive from either one of them. That'd be about as far as we would go. You know, we're two hours north of the Montana border, and then we're two hours south of Calgary, Alberta. If you've heard of the Calgary Stampede, that's, that's near where we're at. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. So let's get some nitty gritty. So like how many houses, uh, you know, I'll say you or your team or your team or Ridge or how do you, however you want to do this? Like what would sure. you say? Yeah. Well, let's focus on team because I think I know a lot of your listeners, Pat, at least folks that really appreciate and value all the content you bring. Uh, most of them are, are team owners. And, and so, uh, yeah, as, our, as a team, you know, we'll be in the 300s this year, probably like 330, somewhere in that range. Uh, that doesn't put us past 100 million for volume, but it puts us pretty close. So we're in striking distance of that kind of threshold. We're pretty stoked on that. Yeah. So your average sale price is what, like 300? Yeah, a little bit less than that. Yeah. yeah, like well, 285, 290, somewhere in there. Okay. And what is your ECI on that, your ego commission income? What are your total commissions of your team add up to? Oh, man, I should know that, shouldn't I? Total commissions, I mean, straight up, it's easy to calculate that, right? I mean, it's say $90 million worth of business. And, you know, average commission in Canada, this is one of the things we're going to talk about, right? Is, you know, going to be 2% to side, right? More or less. I mean, you can do the math on that. What's that? A couple million bucks or uh, I don't know. 1.8 million. 1.8. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and do you know what your profit margin is? Yeah. I mean, we're not where we'd like to be. I mean, Gary Keller wants us at what, 30%, 35%, but we're probably closer to 20, a little bit under that. Yeah. yeah definitely yeah. under that. Yeah. Yeah, 20, 20% at one point. But you're still pulling in 300, which is, you know, 320, which is good. I mean, it's very hard, I think, for large teams to, you know, and, and I think that uh, what you're referring to, millionaire real estate agents, I think it's closer to 50. At, at, but certainly they are doing an update to that version, which they need that. to because most of, the, cause most of the teams that come on the show, you know, they're more like 20. You know, if, you're, if you've got a large team and you're leveraged, you're more like 20%. And 20% is a is a good profit if you compare it to other businesses, right? You look at a builder or whatever, they're trying to make five to 10% per house. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, yeah. One of the things that I learned just this year, and I'm embarrassed to say that it took me almost a decade, but it seems that there's a bit of a disparity in terms of how American teams versus Canadian teams actually measure their net income. So I, you know, I take a fairly hefty salary out of the company and those numbers are post my salary, right? Oh, okay. Fact, well, yeah, wife, well, that could. Yeah. So that might that might inflate those numbers a little bit. So you can't really you're not really comparing apples to apples. So no. You know, so what would that be? Like, what's your salary? Oh, uh, my wife and I just take whatever the cap is for our income threshold. So I think in total it's like two two hundred something like that. So maybe we're netting what, like what's that mean? That well, so so there's dude. Our taxing here is terrible. Don't even get me started on the Canadian taxation system compared to what y'all are are dealing with down there in the. Oh well, yeah, because in the U.S., right? Like, if I took a salary. And I, I've done this for decades. If I took a salary of you know hundred grand out of my team business, and then I took a a distributions of a hundred grand, I'm essentially taxed the same on most corporate LLC C corp. I'm taxed the same 
S corp, I save a little bit of social security, but I, I, you know, you do save social security, but it's only like, you know, I, I don't know, I know what, what it is. It's like five to 10% or something, but, um, mm. but anyways, you don't save a lot. So what, what, why would you do that? Why would you, and, and that's a high, usually teams that come on this, this show take a very low salary, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like five grand a month. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest, they just do distribution. Tell yeah. And so, so in Canada, we have a liberal government. So that'd be kind of like similar to what y'all had with Obama. Right. And what, one of the first things that they did was they changed the way that dividends were, were taxed. Okay. So it used to be that I did just exactly what you said. I would take a low salary and then I would pull out dividends in the company because they'd be taxed at such a lower rate. Right. And the government said, no, 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 we don't like the way that small business owners are getting away with this. We're essentially going to level the playing field. Whether you take salary or whether you take dividends, we're going to tax it the same. The only reason that I've chosen to take it as salary is because then you get to have what we call CPP, which is your Canada pension plan. So you catch a couple hundred bucks a month when you hit 60 or whatever that works out to the math is sufficient enough that it makes sense. You could also get EI, not like it really matters to somebody like me. And, and you also get then primarily the reason you would do this is because of your RRSP. So that's the registered retirement savings plan, which is like, what, what is it called in the States? Uh, your social security. No, no, no. Your company, what's the, what's the thing that your company contributes to your retirement savings plan? It's like a, there's a number, it's a number like a 103. You know, maybe an IRA, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So basically like I can stack money in this RRSP and the limit grows each year, right? Because I'm, I'm taking this income as a salary and, uh, and that RSP limit grows. And then now I'm able to uh, put money in there tax-free. And it grows tax-free and it grows tax-free. So, uh, so you could do that. The, the more salary you take, the more you could put in. It gets capped and, and I've, I've stopped my salary out where it caps essentially. And so where does it know, cap? We, Just curious. Where's it cap? uh, caps at 90, I think 90 grand a year. So my, my oh, wife and I, hurt. Yeah, my wife and I, I think we, we pull out, I think, 250 from the company, and then that nets us, you know, like 10 grand a month or something like that. Dude, that's insane. I mean, $90,000 a year tax free to save for retirement. You, you oh, know no, 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 you misheard me. So, so our income would be, yeah. say, like 180 grand, and then yeah. we pull some more dividends, okay? But of that 180 grand, it doesn't grow in direct correlation, you know, say, like you how know, much maybe, can you put away? Like how much in a given year? I think, how much can I you think on a 90, on 90 grand, I think it gives you like probably like one, per, like, sorry, 10%. So it probably grows by nine grand or maybe it's 15 grand or something every year. It's not a huge amount, but still there's, there's the benefit there of just stacking away 10 or 15,000 bucks for a couple. It works out to more like 20, 25 grand a year tax free, right? In the U S it's six. Okay. Yeah. 6,000 bucks. I mean, now, now if you have a, a, if you set up a, you know, a, a company and you have employees and you're paying them payroll systems, not independent contractors, and, and you're, you're doing all that, you can give more, but then you got to give your employees more too. And so most realtors do, you know, the six, that's it. Six grand a year, boom, you're finished. And right. so it's definitely more, you know, and, and I think that, I think that really sucks, you know, how we do it in, in the States. It would, I think that because I know that a lot of older people, and I've seen this firsthand, are broke, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, I'm seeing it more and more. And you know, so it would make sense. Why would it? Why would they limit it to six thousand? Why not let me put thirty thousand? Why not let people put, 
you know, whatever they want to uh, tax free in a retirement that they're not going to use because it's going to save the government money from having to support them. And, it, and, it, and as a, as a whole, our community won't, you know, our elderly won't be, won't be so out of money, which it's happening more and more now. Yeah. I think the, the general philosophy is that, you know, if you, save money here, then you can save it over there. And that's kind of what you're suggesting, right? But I mean, our society now is so short-sighted, man. I mean, everybody's like, no, no, like you can't increase my tax half a percent, you know, or you can't take this thing away, man, because, you know, y'all, you know, that's one of the primary differences between Canada and the States is that, you know, take the price of cigarettes, like, you know, a carton of cigarettes in the States, I don't know, what would it be like 40 bucks, 50 bucks, something like that. You know, a carton of cigarettes in, the, in Canada, I mean, they're like 20 bucks a pack. So do the math, like, you know, I don't know, is it 400 bucks or $350? I mean, it's tons, right? And where does that money go? It goes to healthcare. It's like, hey, we're taxing stuff so people don't use it. Same with alcohol is the reason it's so much more expensive here. They just tax the hell out of stuff that's bad for you. And then, you know, with all those things, you can do things like provide free healthcare. You can provide better social security, you can provide free education. And then with those things, with free education, you have a more educated society, a healthier society, people making better choices and less long-term costs ultimately on your society. But in order to do that, you have to have slightly higher tax thresholds, right? Of course. And yeah. college, college is free? No, there's there's a lot more grants and, and I mean, there's substantially subsidized. So how about this? Like I did an MBA at a respected school in Canada, my tuition each year at that time was under $5,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, a similar school in the States would easily charge $50,000 a year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's easy to get loans, of course. I mean, you know, the yeah, of tax, course. you're getting a tax loan for five grand. I mean, instead of <laughs> some of these kids. Like, well, this is one of the frustrations, right? I mean, I hear, you know, so much now for me, I hear so many people that are anti-education, you know, and I, I listen, man, I get it. Like, do you want your kid to go to school to get a BA in English and history like I have and come out of school with $200,000 in debt? Like that is insane, man. Cause I'll tell you what, having done it, I can tell you that you don't come out with a whole bunch of job offers, but I came out with no student debt and education and, kind of the freedom to choose some different career paths. And I did that not under duress and not under the looming debt load that a lot of my American peers would have. And so it's just a much different choice. And so I'm not anti-education at all because shit in Canada, man, it's like, go do it. Spend four years growing up, learn how to write a paper, learn how to communicate and then go get a job and provide some value. No big deal. Cause I don't have a $200,000 debt load with that privilege. Right? No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I see this debate all the time and, and, you know, if, if, you know, yes, you know, I have a degree in sociology and I, I, it didn't get me anything. But what it did get me is, number one, like you said, lear learning how to write more, more than just writing, learning how to meet deadlines. That's what I, one of the things I learned in college, right? How to work hard and bust my ass under a deadline, which is a crucial skill if, mm -hmm. if, if, if you want to hustle and you want to work, right? Yeah. The second thing is obviously, and it sounds funny, but socialization skills are massive, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that you learn in college, tons of socialization skills. Do you and, drink a lot of beer in college, Pat? Oh, yeah. Every night. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> right? But, but it taught me how to socialize. <laughs> sure it did. Yeah, you use those skills right now, man, right? This is why you're such a good conversation. That's with. right. That's right. But uh, but yeah, and that's what it teaches you. And and the third thing that I think it really does is it gives you this sort of mental confidence that most people don't have mm -hmm. that you are entitled to a better job. 
I, I, you know, there's probably about 2% of the population that could fail out of high school and think in their mind, I'm entitled to be a, a billionaire and, and, and make it, you know what I mean? Just go into mm-hmm. sales or go into something and kick ass and not feel like, oh shit, I got to be a bartender. You know, when people graduate high college, they come out of there thinking, you know, if I become a bartender, I'm taking a step backwards. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to go into a profession. Does this make sense? Right. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. And the one other thing that I'll add to that, that I think has probably served you. And I know it served me. Didn't really occur to me, Pat, until I was reading this book. Have you read the book called Deep Work? I've heard about it, but didn't yeah. read it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good book and I'm only like halfway in it. But I mean, essentially, it's like th- those are the kind of skills that you learn when you're in school like that. I mean, you got to stay focused, right? It's one thing to like make the decision, hey, I'm going to do this thing. It's another decision to apply. It's another decision to get your loan and to go and show up for a semester. But then you got to show up for exams and you got to show up for classes, a lot of which are boring. And you got to do that every year for, say, four years, right? I mean... And then in the middle of all that, you got to go deep on, you know, say four subjects a semester, five subjects a semester. Like that's the kind of intellectual work that I think our, our society is actually starving from. I mean, so much of what we do now is just chasing the next rabbit. You know, I'm going to check my email. I'm going to check my Instagram, shoot a selfie, and then take a call from a client and then go, you know, do whatever. And so little of what we do now is, you know, dedicated, focused work on one task for a long period of time. And I think that's been one of the things that I think has really helped me in my career. And I was actually, you know, planning to come to the conversation today with that information was that, you know what, my ability to sit down and say, Hey, listen, like doors shut. I got like an hour right now and I'm going to be deadly focused on this one thing that I want to have an absolutely perfectly clear plan on. And then I know who to talk to and how to execute on it. Right. And it's that ability to think and then to go ahead and execute that. I think we're starved so much from these days. Yeah. tribeofmillionaires.com. Guys, write that down. Rockstar Nation got a free special offer for you. Now, I've just written a book and it's just been published. Co-authored it with David Osborne, who's been on this show multiple times. If you don't know David, he is one of the top execs at Keller Williams Real Estate, was personally mentored for the last two decades by Gary Keller himself. And he's in all kinds of businesses. His bio and explanation and, and everything is in this book. But anyways, David and I got together. We decided to write a book. We called it Tribe of Millionaires. And I guarantee you, it's going to change your life. To find out more, just go to tribeofmillionaires.com. We're going to give it to you absolutely free. Only thing we ask in return is, of course, number one, you pay the shipping. Not a big deal. But number two, that you go on Amazon and write us a review. We're really looking to get an incredible amount of reviews. And because of that, we're giving this book away for free. Go to tribeofmillionaires.com today. Good stuff. Okay, so let's talk about the real estate transaction because a lot of people want to know what is the big difference. So I want to take it from the beginning, right? With buyers, first of all, buyers, how's your MLS work? How's, yeah, you know, all that work. How do buyers find houses? Yeah. So, I mean, in Canada, we don't have, you know, the pervasive access of Zillow. I mean, everybody kind of accepts Zillow as one of the best search engines. Canada is very fortunate. We're regionally distributed, right? So, I mean, there's a city here, city here, city here, kind of separated by often hundreds of kilometers or hundreds of miles. And 
so I can't say who to thank, but somewhere early on, somebody got together and connected all those MLSs across the entire country without exception to realtor.ca. So for most people, they're going to go to this one place and, and they're going to buy property. And that's kind of always been the way that it is. And that tool functions really. Wait a minute. Let me, let me slow it down. So is this a universal MLS system or is this like a, a realtor.com? Is it just a website? Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a, so my understanding of realtor.com is that not every MLS participates. Is that correct? I'm pretty sure every, you know, yeah, every, I'm pretty sure everybody's in there. Like you can choose, I think not to put it in there, but you have to check certain boxes and stuff. So pretty much everyone puts it in there. You know what I mean? Unless they don't want to cooperate with other agents, right? Unless they're FISBO or or commercial listing that doesn't Mm -hmm. cooperate. Okay. So my, my misunderstanding. So we're all connected to realtor.ca. Most people are going to Google realtor.ca is going to be one of the primary ones that comes up. Maybe it's an agent site like mine, if you, you know, if you're advertising PPC and stuff, lead comes in for us, we have a five minute speed to lead on our team. So we're phoning, texting, emails, first day, second day, all through day 10. And so we're really good at, you know, engagement and follow up with our clients and, and then it's a matter of uh, having them into the office, talking about agency, doing a qualifying conversation. And we, we, you know, one of the skills, one of the ninja skills that we have, Pat, is, you know, we're just, like you said, we're great conversationalists. It's one of the things that I coach my team on each day at 11 o'clock. From 11 to 12, we talk about ways of qualifying people, ways of uncovering need, ways of providing value. And a lot of that just comes from having great conversation and being able to empathize and understand and then serve, right? So um, that's a big part of what we're doing. And then getting out there, seeing houses, writing offers. And then, you know, we don't have escrow in the same way that you do, but we do have a deposit in the same way that you do. So say I'm a buyer and I've got maybe $20,000 saved up. There's a minimum down payment requirement in Canada of putting down 5%. There's really- Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. So I buy a house. Mm-hmm. Right? I got to put down 5% with the real estate agent. That's it. Like there's no exception to that. It doesn't come to the real estate agent necessarily. No. What I'm saying is that when you go get pre-qualified at your bank, yeah. uh, they're saying you got to have 5% saved oh, up. Oh, okay. You got to have 5 So you can't get a loan for less than 5% down. Yeah. 95% financing is- uh, 95% is, is the riskiest financing you can get. And and tell me about the banks, right? Because it's not like, like in the US, there's you know millions- of different banks, right? Canada is a lot different than that, right? It is, yeah. There's there's like fifty kind of national institutions that uh, that we can generally get mortgage loans through. We generally use mortgage brokers so they can you know uh, float those. Uh, and what does a loans. national institution mean? Like like. So you got to be registered. Yeah, you got to be registered with the uh, with the what is it called? The Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions. So you have to have you know all the credentials and all this. So it's you know you're right, man. One of the things that we notice traveling in the states is how many different types of regional banks there are. That's a fairly unusual thing. There we have like the odd credit union or like a treasury branch that are like actually owned by the users. But for the most part, we don't have as much of that as the states. I would say kind of like ten percent. So. You know, you fill out your application to your mortgage broker and they float it up to say one of these 50 big banks or whatever, and they have to abide by these national rules. And I'll, I'll tell you about them because they're just mental. And they came out in the last three years. And, you know, if I sound wound up by them, you'll know why. So in uh, October of 2016, there was a lot of, you know, inflation in two markets, Toronto and Vancouver. Like prices were going up pretty dramatically, like double digits each year for sure. And there was some threat of foreign investment being the driver before that uh, 
of those prices. And so what the government did is they said, okay, listen, we're going to put in something called the stress test. And we're going to say, hey, listen, if you can go to a bank and get a mortgage loan for 3% based on your credit, your down payment, your income and your debt, maybe you can buy a $400,000 house with your 5% down payment. You now have to qualify at 4%. Now, you don't have to pay 4%, but you got to qualify at 4%. So that immediately reduced your buying power by 18%. Okay, so now a 400000 well, let's make the math easier. A $500,000 buyer with 5% down in one day went to buying a $400,000 house. And so you can imagine what that did to our first-time home buyers and what that did for those properties that were now unable to be sold, right? And then in their infinite wisdom, rather than address these regional issues, like in central Ontario and the West Coast, they came out in January of 2018 and said, okay, wait, wait, wait. We really like that first phase. We'll call it phase one. There's a phase two now and it applies everywhere. So no matter if you're borrowing 95% or 50% or 20%, everybody's going to qualify for a percent above what the bank gives them. And so every single person across this entire country now had their their pre-approval limits dropped by 18%, again, just overnight, just like that. And so what that really meant and what we're still seeing play out in our market is that, you know, you would think that, you know, if you could only think of it from the first time home buyer's perspective, took a bunch of those people out, right? But then if you can imagine the family that bought a $400,000 house four years ago, you know, they now want to, they've got some equity built, they now want to go out and buy their $600,000 forever home. And guess what they qualify for? A $475,000 house. Now, do you think they're going to sell their $400,000 house now that the markets come down and move up, you know, 50 grand? No way, man. They can't afford to, for one, because they're not getting substantially more house and hires for their house here at the 400 range either. So actually their value has gone down because the people here that are coming in as a first-time home buyers can't afford to pay what they would have paid. So, so it actually either. made everyone's house value go down. Oh, dude, I, Pat, in the 10 years that I've been in real estate, I haven't seen a seller's market, man. I've been at this since 2008. We have yet to see so real did it, ha- did, it, did it happen as soon as this new law came out? Oh, of course, man. It was like overnight. So what, what happened? And all of a sudden, you have all these listings, right? And things are selling. You gave them advice, price it here. It's going to take X amount of days to sell. Overnight, they make these changes. The next day, showings dry up. They call you up, Courtney, what's going on? Where's everybody? You just blame it on the government. You're yeah. Like, hey, you know, you, these people just can't afford your house anymore. The only people that can afford your house, we're looking at, you know, your house is listed at 400. They were looking at 450s. So they're all excited, expecting pools and garages. And then now they have to look at houses without garages and pools. And they're just like, screw it. I'm not going to buy. And then, and then all these buyers are just void of the market. The market is just void of these buyers. So what happened? Well, man, all those things happen, but how you manage it is really where the beauty's at. And I want to tell you that my, my business has grown every year and we've been market leaders in, in managing the communication and helping people understand what's happened and also reestablishing reasonable expectations. And for sure, some of that means that listings go away. For sure, it means price reductions. For sure, it means buyers dry up. Uh, for sure, it means the cost of lead acquisition goes up, right? Like all those things happen. But one of the things that I would say that it's done for us uh, from a business standpoint is that it's really caused us to get super finicky about our processes, our people, and how we serve. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to operate in a market that now has, you know, 12 or 15% fewer transactions, you really got to be the best. Like you really got to offer such a high level of service 
uh, in an environment that's so risky that you're the one call, right? And we've really spent a lot of money and a lot of effort trying to establish ourselves as the primary source for need uh, in a really, really challenging market. And so we've done really well with that with, without commission compression, at least from a company standpoint. So uh, has the agent pool dropped? Not dramatically. As a matter of fact, I mean, there's some other compounding things. The agent pool has actually increased, but I would attribute that to the fact that so much other employment has dried up. Okay. So, you know, those people would lose their jobs here or there. We've had terrible unemployment in Alberta for a very long time. And I would say that a lot of those people were were drawn to real estate because of the efforts of teams like mine where, where agents are starting and making a you know, hundred grand their first year. Well, they're thinking, okay, well, they're making that look easy. Let's go get a real estate license and sell, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, here, here's what I want to talk to you before we get off banks here and stuff. So the foreclosure process is a lot different in Canada. Like, like in yeah. the U.S., you know, as you know, as everybody knows, it, it, like there, there were there are people and have been people that have milked the foreclosure process up to five years. They can live in a house, you know, you know, without paying the mortgage. Now that's not true. That's an anomaly. But you know, it, it's usually two years or so uh, mm-hmm. before you get kicked out. Well, how's it work there? Not typically like that. Typically, it's about three months before the bank's going to intervene and have you talk to a trustee. But we don't see a lot of foreclosures here. Even during this time, Pat, with the terrible economy in Alberta due to oil and all kinds of other things, we really haven't seen a tremendous amount of foreclosures. Do you think that's because it's fairly conservative? Do you know, like, you know, you explained how, you know, you got to qualify for a percent more, but I'm, I'm betting that it's harder to qualify to begin with. Like, the, like oh, yeah. in the U.S., we, we might use 40% of the income, you know, you know, up to 50% of the income or whatever. The banks try to stretch it to for you, but, you know, 30. But whatever. What, what do you guys use your ratios? For LTV? Or for, yeah. Um, yeah well, for so qualifying, do you know? T- TDSR, yeah. Total debt service ratio has to be under 40%. Most banks want it to be around 35%. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Okay. So it's straightforward. Okay. So, so three months you don't pay, boom, you're out, right? Yeah. It's a little bit, a little bit uh, more complex than that, but for the most part, yeah. And, but the main difference, Pat, between how, how it's done in the U S and how it's done in Canada is that these properties can't be sold below market value. Okay. So first thing that happens is there's, you know, an appraisal that's going to happen on the property. And then generally, no matter, regardless of where it happens in process, if it's at the courts or if it's at the bank, or if it's with CMHC, our Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, they're the, one of the primary insurers of mortgages in Canada. Depending on what level it's at, they're still going to be selling the property at market value, uh, or what their perception of market value is. So they'll, you know, randomly choose a realtor to represent the property, and and they'll leave it on the market. You know, they're not invested in how many days. There's there's no short sale process. There's no negotiating any of that. It's like, hey, here's here's what the property is going to sell for, and if you don't like it, that's okay. We'll wait, you know, ten, you know, ten months doesn't matter. And then they'll lower the price, and then it'll eventually sell, and that kind of determines what that person's future credit looks like. If there is no equity, well, then they're upside down anyways. But if there's a bit of equity, then some of that debt will get paid out, and they'll still be in bankruptcy. But you know, that's maybe not as terrible here as it is in some places. Seven years, and you're back on your feet again. And, Sometimes at three or four, you can find people to kind of help you out with a mortgage. So, but again, not, not a lot of that. And, and, you know, none of the stuff where you're at the courtroom steps, you know, bidding on a house for 10 grand when it should sell for 30 or 40, like, dude, if they were like that, I'd be, I'd own them all, you know? Yeah. So the banks aren't, the, the, the banks aren't giving them away basically. And, that, and that's you know, good for the, that's good for the market, right? Cause you don't have, oh, sh- you know, part of the, uh, you know, the reason that all these flip companies, you, you know, like, 
you know, open door, offer pad, Zillow, the, the whole iBuyer craze has happened is because you could literally have two houses that are identical and one is a piece of crap and the, and the other's massively fixed up and there's a huge, you know, delta between the two, but it sounds like that doesn't happen there, right? I mean, you're kicked yeah. out so fast, you're not going to let it go to shit and, you know, there won't be this big delta in the well, there's there's a, a a little bit of that, but I mean, I mean, for the most part, when we're looking at comparables, we can trust the market. Like a comparable is a comparable. We know that it's been well vetted, right? So that's that's a pretty cool thing. And it, but it also means that you know I, I've tried a couple of flips, man. I can tell you that it ain't easy to make money. Like <laughs> like I've heard lots of stories from you know from friends, guys that have been on your show that are, that do great at that. And yeah, when you're in a seller's market and prices are going to go up and it favors time. Heck yeah, but we're in a place where, you know, you bought this house for 200 grand. It might be worth 190 in six months and you're trying to make 20 grand on it. Uh, that doesn't, that's not going to look so good, man. You better, you know, you better buy them for, you know, 70 cents on the dollar. Well, like, where do those properties even exist in a market like ours? They really just don't, right? Yeah. Do the math. It's worth every single dollar. This is a quote from Mr. Bill Reed, who took my certified listing agent program. He says, looking to take your listing presentation to the next level. Listen, I've closed 100% of the appointments since I took Pat Hyben's certified listing agent. Five appointments, five new clients in 60 days. Do the math. It's worth every single dollar. Now you can get the certified listing agent course. You can get the certified buyer agent course, which tells you how to close every single buyer that calls in if you want them. You get the certified team agent course, which teaches you how to build a dynamite team like Jeff Cohn, who teaches the course. It's like a 10-hour course from Omaha, Nebraska, Berkshire Hathaway's top agent, and seven other courses. Total of 11 courses, all five-star rated, only 97 bucks a month. If you paid for them individually on the website, they would cost over $10,000, and we are running a special now at futureofrealestatetraining.com where you can get them for $97 a month. That's all you can eat, $97 a month, all these courses. That's futureofrealestatetraining.com, futureofrealestatetraining.com. Check it out. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Pat Hyben. And before we jump back into today's content, I want to tell you about an extraordinary offer from an extraordinary company. I'm talking about my Outdesk. If you haven't heard of my Outdesk, basically they are a virtual assistant company, a VA company that specializes in virtual assistants for real estate agents. Yeah, I'm talking about transaction coordinators, marketing assistants i'm talking about isas inside sales agents at prospect thousands and thousands of seller leads and buyer lead follow-ups i mean these guys are trained in this stuff specifically you're not using a company that doesn't know or understand real estate sales four out of five of the top teams in the u.s use my outdesk for their virtual assistants and because I know the owner, Daniel Ramsey, I've known him for over a decade, and I know how awesome and incredible this company is and how it saves agents thousands and thousands of dollars every single week and makes them thousands and thousands of more every single week, we're going to give you a $400 coupon off of your first month of a virtual assistant and 
give you access and give you a free book entitled scaling your business with virtual professionals so you can like read it and look into it before you decide anything it's called scaling your business with virtual professionals and you can get it real easy all you got to do is text the word hyban h-i-b-a-n to 31996 that's h-i-b-a-n to 31996 and download your free book scaling your business with virtual professionals and don't forget to mention also that you get a $400 discount which will give you a coupon for that when you download the book thank you guys and i hope you enjoy and make a ton of money using my outdesk so so what i'm getting is no i buyer phenomena really at all no you know no outside consumer mls like zillow realtor.com trulia redfin really competing just one realtor.co which is probably you know related to nar realtor.com just one and very conservative mortgages so you don't have a lot of of risky loans and, and people that shouldn't be buying houses are renting right? right rather than the government trying to push them into first time home buyer deals when they probably shouldn't be renting in the first place so what else what else talk about the title you know how is the title any different or the process yep. of the process of that happens between when you buy and when you settle. Yeah, so across Canada we use attorneys to close real estate transactions. So, you know, generally speaking, the brokerage will hold the deposit funds. So say you're putting $10,000 down as a deposit or $10,000 towards your mortgage, you might put 1,000, 5,000 bucks of that, you know, as I think you call it earnest money in the states we call it deposit money in Canada. And then the rest would be delivered to your lawyer at closing. So, you know, You write the offer it's accepted you get conditions they come off and then at that time all the documentation goes to the lawyer the lawyer seeks mortgage instructions from the bank that you're dealing with they figure out the math between what you've put down as a deposit and what you're putting down as your down payment they tell you to bring a check in for that amount and then the deal goes ahead and closes on possession day at your lawyer's office but generally speaking they're at the real estate brokerage picking up their keys and we're doing a walk through to make sure everything at the property is in good condition Wow, interesting. Okay, so let's go to commission because that's what people want to hear, right? How, how do you guys do your commissions? Is it is it you know does who pays it? All that stuff. Just tell me. Yeah, you bet. Uh, in Canada, it's generally accepted that the uh, commissions are charged to the seller side, much the same as it is in the states. Although this uh, class action against NAR may change that for you guys, but but yeah, we're 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 uh, generally across Canada about four percent that. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we're not so attractive to uh, you know to a company like Zillow or iBuyer or whoever. Now even Amazon, now they're in the game. Who knows how they're going to expand their position in the in the real estate business? But you know, essentially, what these what these uh, companies have have done, rightfully I think, is you know taking the middle out of the market. Right? They're saying, hey, listen, there's there's enough juice in here. We can do the same deal, you know, for probably three percent and still make a ten percent margin or a twelve percent margin or whatever by amalgamating all these services and with. You know, billions of dollars of investor capital. We can just eliminate these other people. And for us in Canada, when you're already at four percent, yeah, maybe they could do it a little bit cheaper. But is it worthwhile, especially when you're regionally distributed so much? Like, there's only a couple centers in Canada that have a million population. You know, Toronto, Vancouver, and Calgary. That's really it. And so, are they going to invest all the resources to come here to maybe make you know 
a fraction of the money that they could make if they just go to Austin and hang out there for the next five years while that market continues to take off and there's 6% commission on $600,000 houses. Well, hey, listen, man, like I want to be in that market too. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah, like, that's that's interesting. So <laughs> it's a 4% and you have 2% usually co-op? Yeah. Is that what the yeah. co-op is, 2%? That's that's average for sure. Yeah, that's average. That's right. So, so what would happen if you or if a company came to town and they started co-oping one percent instead of two percent? Yeah, and that happens. I mean, in every market, there's always going to be discount brokers, and there's always going to be. I mean, they, they would they would still show up on Realtor.co, mm-hmm. which everybody uses because it's a monopoly, right? To search right. for houses, if you co-opt one percent, right? That's right. They would still show up. There's no, there's no bias against them from a technological standpoint. There's no consumer transparency. I mean, they technically offer $1. There does have to be a commission offered, but it can be a dollar, right? In those cases, we address that with, uh, at least on, on my team, and, and this isn't an industry standard by any stretch. It's a common issue, if you will, from a lot of buyer's agents who are inexperienced all across the country. But how we manage that is we establish a really firm value proposition in our first meetings with our clients. And we say, hey, listen, like these are all the things that we're going to do for you. Here's our track record of success. And there may come a time where we ask you that you're going to have to make up some commission. If this is a 1% deal, we may say, hey, at the closing table, when you go to meet with your lawyer, they may ask you for an extra two, $3,000 uh, just so you're aware. But that just levels out the playing field. It makes everything apples to apples, just so you're aware. It's really just a matter of, you know, are these funds coming from your mortgage or are they coming from your down payment? That's the same to you. And when we explain it that way, there's really no issues. And, and the, the primary thing I think it does, one thing, it makes sure that our agents are compensated fairly for their level of professionalism. And that happens because we're able to serve our clients at such a high level by saying to them, hey, listen, we're not going to be negatively biased against this property or that property. We're going to show you every property and we're going to level out the playing field for you, both in terms of the properties that you would like to see and the commission that they'll offer. And so it really just takes that, that risk away. We haven't had any issues with that at all. Oh, that's great. And what do you have agency? Like in the States, yeah. you have buyer agency, seller agency, dual agency. Do you have all that? We do. Yeah. We're, we're still fortunate enough that we have a dual agency opportunity in the province of Alberta. BC just got rid of that British Columbia. Uh, the government came in and said they can't have dual agency anymore. Okay. Wait a minute. So let's slow this down. The entire province of mm-hmm. British Columbia, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, what are there? Seven. How many provinces? There's 12, 12 I think. In there. Oh, yeah. 12. 12. So, you know, a large section of Canada came in and said, you can't sell your own listings. That's correct. One of the things that was happening, Pat, in uh, particularly in Vancouver, and keep in mind that their average house price was already, say, $800,000. Okay. So the most expensive real estate in Canada. They're a bit landlocked because of mountains and ocean. Uh, There's a lot of foreign investment. Okay. So back in the days when Chinese investors could get their money out of the country easily, cash, okay, and bring it here, what would happen is, you know, these people from these unethical brokerages, they would just go door knock and they'd say, hey, like I'll give you $800,000 for your house. They'd go back to the office, they'd sell that contract to a colleague for 850, right? Take a commission there. They'd sell that contract to another colleague for 900 then sell that contract for 950. It's called shadow flipping, right? And so that went on for about a year, possibly two years. The government caught on to it. There was not a, not a lot of brokerages, but there was a handful of brokerages that were doing that kind of unethical behavior. And they said, okay, they just shut the entire province down. They said, yeah, no dual agency. So they've mandated now that that conversation about agency has to happen like within minutes of engaging someone. Like they literally want you to pull out paperwork in the first conversation. And this is the most interesting part. They've literally hired 11 auditors to, to spot audit. So they've got staff now 
that'll actually pretend to be buyers and sellers to see if they can catch you not doing it. Okay, so let me get this straight. So I got to, you're essentially having to decide whether you're going to be a listing agent or a buyer agent, I guess, on, on, on some level, which is very similar to, I mean, you could say that's how it is now in, in the States and your other provinces, but it's really not as, as cold and, and hard as what they've done here in BC. So, and, and what they do in Europe and a lot of other places where the, you know, the commissions are decoupled, where you, obviously you have a buyer agent because you're paying them yourself. But let me go to British Columbia. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a seller. I'm an agent. I have a listing. Somebody Mm -hmm. comes to my open house that I'm holding Mm -hmm. and they're like, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Before that happens, you got to have a conversation about agency and you're going to have to refer that person out. You refer them. Are you allowed to make a referral fee from it? Or are you giving the entire 2% Mm -hmm. out to some, somebody else? From what I understand, and like I say, I don't operate there. They've, they found a a way that makes the uh, legislator happy and that makes the agents not so angry. (laughs) I can't tell you what that is. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, because really, technically, they shouldn't be able to get a referral fee because then you're yeah, you are kind of tied, right? It's a conflict inherently right there as soon as you're getting part of the commission. And then you just have to get a relationship with another agent. We're like, dude, I'm going to give you mm-hmm. you know, my buyers, and then you're going to give me a solid and give me yours too. You know? Yeah, I think I think that's probably how it works, right? Where you know you just detach yourself from the client, you find a partner, and then somebody that does similar volume to you, and you just have reciprocal relationships. But can you can you be from the same office, just not the same physical agent? That's what I understand. Yeah, it can be from the same office, okay. not from the same agent. So yeah. the company can still make money on it. It's just that the agent can't. <sighs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you have to be at a designated agency brokerage, but yeah, that just means that you've got to have some additional levels of security around your filing and around your photocopier and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So like, what else would you say is different uh, than, you know, the United States, would you say, as far as like what your real estate sales world is like there? Anything else? Yeah. I mean, up? Well, I can speak to, the, to running a business here. I mean, I'm, I'm part of a number of masterminds and I've been coached by lots of, uh, lots of people who've operated in the States. And I think one of the, one of the biggest differences just relates to, first of all, I think general education. It's, it seems to me just based on what I've been able to put together that the level of education that a consumer has in our market, at least or in Canada, is greater. So we find people really, really understand the process quite a bit. They've already done research and found lots of information online. And so when we show up, like, you know, the come list me's or, or the people that um, are just, you know, prepared to sign whatever you put in front of them, don't, they don't really exist. Secondly, with, with our markets being generally what they are across the country, I mean, for the most part, we're either like balanced or buyer's markets. We haven't seen a lot of flipping. We haven't seen a lot of investor buying from a flip standpoint, but I mean, from, from those who have long-term money to, to buy and, and hold rentals, it's still a decent time to do that. But the business model of operating a team in Canada isn't so, isn't so flush with cash that we can have like, you know, ISA teams and showing partners and a lot of these newfangled things that have come out in the past couple of years. Like there's just not enough meat on the bone to be able to, to have that many people in your organization or like a transaction coordinator for every three people in your business or whatever. I mean, so we've really gotten very efficient with how our organization runs. And frankly, I have to tell you in, in the time that we haven't spoken Pat. I mean, sure. My team's grown probably maybe fivefold in that time, threefold for sure. Wow. But 
the the key thing that's that's facilitated that is just a level of discipline and follow-up and i know you know one of the things that your that your listeners like to hear is like well hey how do you do that many transactions and you know and everybody's making really really good money on your team there's no kind of like part-timers and stuff and it's like you know what we just have a lot of mad discipline like you know we all know this book I've got two copies here in my office it's called the four disciplines of execution each morning we get on the phone we talk about our deliverables we know how many phone calls we got to make we know how much prospecting we got to do we know how many appointments we got to make because we measure our lead measures and our lag measures daily we have team meetings every wednesday we talk about how everybody's doing we hold one another accountable we have crucial conversations around things that are tough you know we have a policy in our office where if you claim a lead you're committing to phoning texting and emailing that person every day for the next 10 days and if you don't do that and don't have record of it the team is just going to take you off of leads for a week we want to make sure that every team member has equal opportunity because we owe a fiduciary obligation to our clients who've engaged with us and trusted us with our system to freaking deliver this thing man and so if somebody's dropping the ball along the way that person ought not to be taking more leads they ought to be spending more time on the leads they already got and so it's just a level of discipline that i think has been brought on by a forced pro you know maybe lack of revenue if you will or um or or squeezed margins to say hey we got to do more with what we got we extreme can't accountability right it's like a canadian yeah. mortgage right you pay you stay you don't you won't right you, <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you, that's right. you call 10 days or you're out i mean that's yeah. that's exactly what it is that that's amazing yeah. and and then and then you guys have any special laws regarding calling like you know we have a do not call list we have you know, yeah. some jurisdictions in the states, they don't allow calling expired listings. I mean, what, what are your rules there? There is not a place in Canada where you can call an expired listing, Pat. And a lot of the FISBOs now are that, registered. That's on, against the rule. Yeah, you can't call an you expired. You just can't anymore. call expired. So no one even does that. Yeah. No, you can't. Um, you can't call them. You can't prospect them. You can't door knock them. You can't do anything with expireds anywhere in Canada. And you think about this for a second. Oh, yeah, even a lot of the FISBOs now, they're on the MLS. They're unrepresented, but even when they're on the MLS, you're not supposed to call them either. Wait a minute. And they, and they get on the MLS, they just, but they got to co op something. So they co op a dollar. How's that work? You're a FISBO. You're not co oping. They co op a dollar. Holy yeah. dirt. So, so a FISBO can get on the MLS and co op a dollar. Yeah, there's brokerages that'll take a flat fee from you, say 600 bucks or whatever. They'll get on the MLS, they'll co-op a buck, but to the consumer, it's absolutely transparent, right? They don't see it. Yeah, they don't know. Right. They don't know. that. They don't care. They just see a pig for the house. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's a little bit different. Yeah, and the DNC list isn't, isn't dissimilar from where you're at, Pat. I mean, you know, we have speed dollars, triple line dollars and all that as well. We can use them, but you just got to scrub your list against the DNC list, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's similar. All right. And I also I have to say, man, I mean, I, I, I love the states because I know you can get cell phone lists and all this stuff down there. I mean, there's, I mean, you, you can't get a cell phone list in Canada. Like, I, I don't know how to get one, but, but people that come on the show have gotten them. And I'll tell you what, to me, I, as a consumer, I'm like, I, I, you know, that's annoying as hell, really. You know, I guess it was annoying when they called into your house and it, it came into your mind like, well, I should know better because, you know, I get spammed all the time. But now it's like cell phones have been so sacred until now, right? Now I'm getting spammed all the time. For funny thing is my wife gets spammed like 20 times as much as I do. I don't know why. But, you know. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, like there's tons of uh, tons of brokerages out there that have those lists, man. It's just, you know, you need numbers to, to dial, right? And, you know, you'll hit a certain percentage of whatever numbers you get, right? Yeah. 
crazy well well this has been awesome courtney i appreciate you coming back on and sharing all this because you know i think a lot of people just assume it's it's very similar and and it is very different it's similar but it's very different in many ways so to put all of courtney's information if you want to reach out to him you want to send him a referral out that way anything you want social media links are be there so you can follow him courtney this has been a blast buddy i really appreciate you coming on thank you so much Pat, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I love this show. It's such a great resource. And man, if I had had this 10 years ago, Pat, I really would have listened to every episode and I could have saved five years minimum. Thank you so much. Uh, My pleasure. All right, man. Peace. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool. An item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists, open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox, full of items of utility simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox that's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999 that's toolbox to 444-999 Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger. Yes, the one finger that points at people and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on a million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.